1: Welcome to the Hockey PTOcast. My name is Dmitri Filipovich, and joining me is, uh, is our good buddy Chris Johnston. Chris, what's going on, man?
0: Not too much, Dmitri. Still recovering from uh, that Game Seven last night in Pittsburgh. It was quite a night there.
1: Yeah, it was. You were there. You were there live in the building, and we were we were planning on recording last night, but it, it ran a bit late, and we decided to get a good night's sleep. Or I guess I got a good night's sleep. You didn't sleep much since you we were traveling, and then we'll uh, we're gonna pick, we're gonna pick up where we left off now.
0: Yeah, the, the emotions are still pretty fresh. So I think uh, we can still do it justice. You, you, you never take into account when you have like an eight fifteen start Eastern and then handshakes and interviews and – trophy presentation it's 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 a late night after those games it
1: is yeah um yeah it was a that series really just featured everything and i guess Mm -hmm. when it goes a distance like that for seven games it gives it an opportunity to but but before we get into unpacking the series in its entirety uh i wanted to quickly get into the uh the panthers canucks trade from the other night that happened just because uh you were the person that i i think you is it fair to say you broke it like you were the first person that kind of at least dropped the hint that there was going to be a trade involving mccann going to florida i feel like
0: uh, that's I actually honestly don't know. It was one of those chaotic nights uh, where when you're just scrambling for info, and I, I'm not sure if anyone else was mm. a bit ahead or behind it. You know, I don't know if it matters, but certainly I think I was I was on top of what was going on there anyway. Hey, there's no need to be that humble. Okay, you you you, you, you can admit you're
1: keeping score, Chris. It's okay.
0: I uh, but in that case I really I really wasn't I, I was actually out to dinner in Pittsburgh with some colleagues and waiting for the, the the Western Conference final game 6 and and started to get wind of stuff and then it was just chaos so I, I like I'm not even being honest in this case I'm just not sure yeah. if someone else was ahead of me or not Okay well, for,
1: well from the Panthers perspective the trade obviously makes a lot of sense and I I, I think It's, it's an objective opinion to say they really just kind of, you know, suckered them into this. And that part seems a bit obvious to me. But I think that from the Canucks perspective, it's weird. I want you to, I want you to explain what's going on with this team right now to me because it, it, I live in Vancouver, so people just assume that I have this sort of uh, insider's perspective on this, but I, I don't really. I don't affiliate myself with the team in any way. And it just from the outside looking at it, it seems like a team that should be rebuilding that's clearly not anywhere near being competitive, yet they keep going for these sort of quick fix patchwork moves and trading away a lot of picks in the meantime, which is very weird since Jim Benning is a is a scout at heart.
0: Well, and it's it's not just trading away picks. I mean, they're they're trading away prospects too, and and uh, you know, young players, a nineteen-year-old forward. And I realize Eric Branson isn't you know a gray beard at at twenty-four, but. Uh, I think it's because there isn't that full commitment to the rebuild that you see moves like this one. And, you know, on some level, I can understand Vancouver's thought process that they want to improve their defense, especially on the right side. And this isn't the kind of year in free agency where you can achieve that. So the trade market was going to be that route. But, uh, you know, to make the deal that they made is, is... you know, it's a bit of a head scratcher. You know, it's so it seems like it's one step forward and two steps back. You know, when you make a trade like this, and uh, you, you really, for me, I, I understand they have some some core members of this team that are veteran players, but uh, you know, at some point, you got to get younger and maybe even get worse. And you know, there just isn't a commitment to a big plan here that I, that I can see.
1: Yeah, and then obviously, right after that, Benning does this interview where he justifies it by describing analytics as as vitamins that aren't necessarily. uh vital to your to your everyday everyday plans and then and then sites that the, the boston bruins won the stanley cup a, a handful of years back without ever really using them so uh no it's uh people are handling all of this stuff very well here in vancouver
0: i was gonna say i figured that that those comments would have caught your attention for sure and yes. and you know it, it it feels a bit like the wrong side of history i mean it's not i i just feel like this isn't even a debate anymore i mean there's not any team that that completely ignores analytics i don't believe and mm. Maybe Vancouver is the one, but I mean, yeah. this isn't a, it's not really a debate anymore to me, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it's, it's a strange situation and I just can't escape the feeling it's not going to end well because, you know, it's, you have to be honest with yourself as an organization and it, it just feels like they're, they're kind of half pregnant or just not fully committed to to one plan or another. Well, it, it it reminds
1: me a little bit of what happened in Toronto, just in the sense that I think that things are going to get really bad just that they continue on this path because uh, they still have some some top end players that are that are aging but are keeping them at least uh semi-competent but if those guys drop off a bit uh, it's going to get really ugly and they're they're trading away all these prospects and picks so it's not necessarily like they're you know uh, rebuilding this thing with the future in mind as you said so I think a, a few years from now they're gonna whether it's the ownership or, or or someone else in that front office is gonna take take a look around and realize just how barren the landscape is and they're probably going to be pushed into a very analytics heavy sort of infrastructure just because it's going to be so different from what they the way they've been operating right now
0: well and and in the biggest picture they're going to have to contemplate some rebuild eventually mm-hmm. so it, even if it's not being done now well you spin your wheels for a couple of years and then you start it. i mean that that actually is a little bit what went on in toronto is is you know, they're finally sort of doing now what, you know, I think a lot of fans wanted to see them do three or four years ago. And, and, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that we, you know, not to look so back in history, but I just feel like you can't escape it forever And, and very few teams I think almost none now in the salary cap era ever reach prominence without having a period where they draft, you know, really high and get some impact players. And then obviously there's, there's a lot more to do once beyond that to, to have the ultimate success, but there's just not a team that, that can, in my eyes do it without, you know, top two or three or four picks and, and usually a couple of them. And obviously I guess the lottery allows you to, to move up to those positions even without finishing 30th or 29th, but um, you know, I just feel like Vancouver is going to get there eventually and probably the sooner the better.
1: Yeah. Well, the real bummer for me is just looking at at the writing on the wall for the Sedins in the sense that I still think they're, they're very uh, useful contributors. They're obviously not the sort of uh, driving force star players that they once were during their prime, but they, they each have two years left at seven million on their cap hit. And it seems highly unlikely that um, even if they w- wanted to get moved and the Canucks wanted to move them that they could especially since like there's just not not really many teams out there that could uh bring both guys on at the same time with those cap hits so it looks like they're gonna be stuck here in Vancouver and and it doesn't look like there's gonna be any sustained playoff runs in in, in that near future so it's it's always kind of a bummer when you see these uh former greats just kind of stuck playing out the string as opposed to getting a few more kicks of the can
0: right and, and and i find it especially so in this case i mean they're they're unique uh individuals obviously in the in the fact that they've twin brothers have spent a whole career playing together but you know for for you know not that far removed from realistically being a stanley cup team to come as close as they did and not you know be able to get over the hump and, and certainly i'm not placing that on their shoulders but i'm just saying that that i just feel like these two guys if you can say deserved it really deserved it and and now you're right it, it and the future doesn't look so so good for you know what they're going to be around while they can still make an impact on the game, and uh, you know you do wonder if they would ever contemplate moving on. I mean, you, you never say never in the sport, but mm-hmm. I think it'd be I think it would, you're right; it'd be difficult. Maybe if if they play out these contracts, they might sign somewhere else at a at a lower cap number and kind of go as a package and take a final run at it. But uh, you know, kind of the twilight of their careers, you know, it's not. It's not looking too good as as we sit here today. No, it's not. Uh, okay, let's get to
1: this Easter Conference final because it really was a doozy and, and we have so much to discuss. Let, let, I want to start with the Lightning because I feel like, especially on this show, I, I've discussed them less. I've, I've had Penguins beat Redders on and stuff like that, and, and we'll have a chance to talk about them a lot in previewing the Cup final. So I think the first natural question for me to start with is is uh, Jonathan Drouin, who was just electric all postseason and, and really was, was, was a nightmare for whichever team they were playing around the neutral zone and getting into the offensive zone where he showed some of that that skill that we'd heard about that he'd been displaying in 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 halifax during his um during his q career and then early on the flashes we saw with the lightning where he's such a great playmaker and he's so dynamic and and i guess just watching that i couldn't help but wonder how close were the lightning really to to trading him in season do you have any any feel for that
0: my sense is they, they 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 weren't that close ultimately i mean they they obviously wanted to and and there were a lot of discussions in that vein uh but you know from the best i can get around that situation is that they just they knew what they had in him mm-hmm. in a lot of ways at least Steve Eisman and, and, and uh, Julian Bribois and the, and the members of the front office did and they they didn't ever get an offer that you know I, I think was was enough to, to make it you know to make them have to sit and you know hang up the phone and have a real serious do we do this conversation and you know I'll, I'll give them credit you know frankly for not for not rushing into it or rushing through it because you know, it was not an easy situation for anyone, the way everything played out so publicly. And, you know, if you remember around that time, around the trade deadline, they they weren't comfortably in the playoffs. They were, you know, kind of hovering in and out at, at times. And, and, you know, it took some sort of fortitude, I think, for them to hold on to him, uh, to, to give him another chance, maybe a chance that wouldn't have even come at the end of this season if Steven Stamkos didn't uh, have his blood clot issue. And then you see the benefit of it because as well as he played in the playoffs – I have to be honest, I think he's I think he's a lightning now. I, I don't uh you know, I know that the Allen Walsh's agent and, and Isman obviously were only 12 hours after the team's been eliminated. I don't think they've had the the, the full discussions yet, but right. you know, I fully expect him just to be a part of this this team now. Well, and and, and if they had a traded on man, they'd be full of regret. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes sense
1: just from this perspective that I think his from his side the beef was that he felt like he wasn't getting the opportunity both in terms of where he was playing in the lineup and sort of being featured and just based on how he played in this postseason it seems like uh the the two parties really shouldn't have an issue in figuring out how to give him the the right minutes and line mates moving forward based on just how he looked in the playoffs
0: well yeah now now there's no debate about it even i mean he's he's their guy and you know whether Stamkos is back, like, you know, it doesn't even matter what happens with their other moves. I mean, he's clearly a top line player for them at this point. I mean, even in game seven, I mean, Tampa didn't produce a whole lot in that game, but, you know, in addition to the fact he scored the goal, he he was by far their most dangerous player and had had a few rushes in the third period where he, you know, he carried the the puck into the zone and, you know, really sort of unsettled what Pittsburgh was trying to do to lock it down. And, and, you know, I I think that, that, the, he's the by far the biggest positive to come out of the playoffs, and you know I've, I've found you know sometimes this is sort of an interpersonal thing, but sometimes when you go through hard times with people, you come out on the other side closer and having built a, a new trust, and you know I'm, that's really my sense about the situation. I mean, it, there there was probably all kinds of things we could point to in hindsight that that shouldn't have happened, but you know i give both sides credit for getting through it and and you know really john and even though even if he authored some of the steven Stamko said to me during the playoffs he said it's probably going to end up being the the best worst mistake he made in his life and and i thought that was a good way of putting it because it, it probably shouldn't have played out the way it did but i'll give that kid a lot of credit for coming back and playing so well in the face of so much scrutiny and and you know everything that went on with him
1: yeah for sure um so <laughs> It seems like you're, you're mentioning the, the offers they were getting and that none of them were you know realistic to, to pull the trigger on but it seems like the one that gained the most traction where the cody cc rumors with ottawa and whether that was ever really a discussion uh doesn't seem to really pass the sniff test based on on the on the, the showings cody cc has had so far in his career but it is a good Ooh. transition point because i do think that looking at this tampa bay roster which has been pretty expertly crafted by steve eiserman and his staff the the one blind spot I, I noticed looking at this depth chart is they seem to have a little bit of an issue properly evaluating defensemen. i feel like is that is that a fair characterization.
0: I, I could see how, how you would get there. I mean, it's it, that, one of the it's one of the weaknesses of the team, yeah. obviously. And and you know, I, I think another team that that was at least in there to some degree was Anaheim I, on Jonathan Duran. You know, I believe there was a number of discussions, and you know, possibly Sammy Vatninn's name uh, being being part of that. You know, a player that that's a restricted free agent this summer, and you know, with with Anaheim having a, a few different guys in that position, you know, there, there could have been a fit, but just didn't. I don't think it got to the point. Where even on the duck side they were sure they wanted to make that move at this point because you know that that's sort of my point. But I don't, I don't. Everyone knew Duran was going to be something. I didn't. I'm not sure that even his biggest supporter thought he would be that impactful so quickly after yeah. going yeah. through all this and missing you know you know a month of the season where he didn't play anywhere. And and um, you know it, I think having seen what we see now, it, it might have been a smart move for someone to pull the trigger. But yeah, to get back to the the Lightning, I, I, the blue line is definitely. An area where they're they're going to have to get creative. I mean, Matt Carl was a uh, you know one of their highest paid players and was a scratch numerous times in the regular season. He, he did play in the playoffs and you know isn't particularly effective. They extended Braden Coburn uh, this year and late in the season to a three year deal, uh, which might have surprised some. And and you know really when when he saw Anton Strawman get injured, you know and and even though he returned, I don't think he was at one hundred percent. You just sort of exposed that that they didn't have enough behind them to to, to keep going, and, and you're right. I, I think that this is probably the number one priority once they sort out their their, their cap situation. I mean, it's all tied together, but yep. how how they can improve that blue line because you know it, it it kind of broke down at least in my eyes in this series against Pittsburgh.
1: Well, there is a little bit of nitpicking to this in the sense that they they were that's some perspective. They were a few goals away from making the sec, their second straight Stanley Cup final, so these right. are uh, good good problems to have. But but when you get well, to I mean,
0: even even the best team in the league now has problems. I mean, yes. that, there's just a reality. There's no there's no team that's a true true powerhouse, I don't think, in the league anymore. Well,
1: when you yeah, when you get to this stature and you get you put your franchise name into this discussion amongst the league's truly elite, you really uh, need to sort of get nitpicky here. And and I do think that that each team has sort of a, a blind spot whether it's a certain player type or a certain position that they seem to struggle with properly kind of they, they they have trends and characteristics they look for and i think that it's pretty clear the lightning seem to favor tall defensemen uh based on some of the heights the, the these guys have but it's just like you look and they have 13.8 million in a cap tied up to uh carl garrison and cobra next year and i don't think any of those three guys are necessarily game changers for them and then they were playing a guy like andre schuster over nikita nestorov during during this eastern conference final and i don't think is necessarily the greatest player in the world but i i, I do i'm very skeptical uh, that andre schuster really does anything except for being tall which i'm not sure really helps in hockey i mean he could grab some rebounds for either the warriors or the or the Thunder. In the in the basketball playoffs, but I don't know what he <laughs> what he really brings to the Lightning. And then it took them forever to start playing Slater Cuckoo, who I actually like, and and they probably like based on the fact that they reached from in the draft a few years ago. But I don't know; it, it, it's it's tough to separate whether this is a a Steve Iserman thing or someone else in that front office, or whether it's John Cooper's preferences because he also seems to like playing this seven man defense core, which drives me nuts for whatever reason. So I don't know; it, it, it's it's tough to separate the, you know who's to blame here and what's really. Good going on but i do think that they should probably go back to the drawing board on um on what they're looking for in their defenseman
0: well so what drives you nuts about the seven seven d-man rotation because john absolutely loves it i gotta be honest with you it's not uh it's not like
1: a rational x's and o's thing or anything like that it 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 this is gonna this is gonna be like the nerdiest thing that I've ever said on the show, but when i'm when I'm tracking these games, it really just kind of messes up my spreadsheet and i gotta gotta adjust for the seventh guy being in there. I'm so used to the, the six guys for each team so it's uh it's a personal thing that just kind of uh grinds my gears for for no it, it's not John cooper's fault at all by any means.
0: Well, it's funny because you know the, the way when I'm covering a game, I, I keep certain notes, and I'm always trying to track which lines are seem to be matched or which D men, and and it complicates my note taking as well because it's it's not neat patterns. And part <laughs> of me thinks that that's sort of the point. Yeah. <laughs> but part of me <laughs> thinks that, that that's what John likes about it is because the other coach presumably is having some of the same frustrations just built into not knowing exactly what he's going to do with his his lines that way.
1: Yeah, but I mean they were playing guys like yeah, obviously very minimal uh exposure but like luke witkowski and, and matt Termina and and yeah I, I think they could uh listen it's it's a great team and they have so much talent all throughout the lineup but i think that if they kind of recalibrate what they're looking for in defensemen, it could go a long way for them moving forward
0: Right, and and you know they they have a great defenseman in Victor Hedman, and, and I, I think so obviously like the, the healthy Anton Stroman, even at you know where he's at in his career, is very effective. So they they've, they've got a good place to start from. They don't have to to mess around with either of those two, but uh, you know it's going to be. I think they're the most intriguing team uh, entering the off season, just just because. A, they're, they're still going to be good next year. There's, there's no way that I can conceive of that. They're not going to be kind of in the mix. It doesn't mean they're, they're guaranteed to be the top team in the East, but they'll, they'll be among the top, but they, they are going to have some hard decisions and it's going to look different. And, you know, I think that's actually kind of the point. Uh, you know, one thing Chicago's done well, as we've talked about over the years, is they've found ways to still be effective with doing it differently in different personnel. And, you know, I just think with the cap situation that it is an opportunity, actually, for the Lightning not to rest on the Royals because they don't have that 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 sort of benefit. And, and they're going to get a chance to remake this team a little bit, to, at least around the margins. And it could make a big difference come come next season.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, hey, were you surprised to see Stamkos playing Game 7?
0: Um. Not really. I, I had a feeling it was coming, and mm-hmm. you know the biggest thing is is it was right in his window of recovery anyway. You know, I, I don't. Uh, you know, in the chaos of the post game and with the team losing, you know, I, I never got a full explanation of the process they went through here in the last couple of days to arrive at that. But you know, I, I had the sense he could have played maybe even a little sooner in this series, but was trying to err on the side of caution and, and you know being sure, but. Um, you know, I, I I I can't say I was overly surprised just just with how how active he was in their skates, how you know where his fitness was at that that he would give it a shot in that situation. And look, he had like a partial breakaway there that that snuck through Matt Murray's arm and wide. That you know you want you want him to have that shot. I mean, if you're the Lightning, that's that was you start him just to have that one opportunity because you know more often than not he, he might score there and, and change that game. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I just, I was discussing this with you uh, privately, but I, I, I've suffered blood clots myself uh, in my personal life years <clears throat> ago, and I was just like, I was very wary of of uh just the health implications and obviously if he was playing it must have meant that he, he'd he been cleared and gotten gotten some good opinions on the fact that they're at least limiting risk moving forward but just based on like what he had to lose with his uh this is going to be the biggest uh summer of his life pretty much and and he's with 26 years old there's still so much playing time left in his career that it seemed like a very uh short-sighted move to
0: rush it but i guess it uh if he'd been clear then there's nothing really else to it well that's the thing I'm just not convinced it was rush it just it, yeah. it's going to have that appearance of course I mean usually when you see a guy make a return in a game 7 you assume he's only playing because of the circumstance and that he's not at 100% but you know the the bit I know Steven Stamkos he's he's just such a sort of intelligent young guy with with a lot of perspective and and you know he's got the one of the best agents in the game and Don Meehan. I, I just can't imagine and even Steve Eisenman is You know, really someone who can, I think, remove himself from the moment. I I just I I think that there was actually a lot of clear headed thinking on this one and that, you know, had it been someone else, they might have played sooner in the series than than game seven. I, I think he I got the sense he had at least. The clearance to be able to do that earlier on and and you know he waited to see if the team could get to the cup final without him and and give him you know even extra time uh built in but i i, I don't feel that this move was was rushed even though you know i can understand why that feeling might be out there just looking at the timing of it
1: mm. Okay, Uh, I think that's enough on Stamkos because I I get this odd feeling that we'll discuss him more (laughs) in the in the coming weeks and months. Probably
0: as soon as next week, (laughs) two weeks from now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. From the Penguin side, I think the 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 key takeaway here is just how good they really looked all series. I mean, the the puck possession game is is it was a landslide. Really, it was. I'm um, looking at the numbers here and Vasilevsky faced 259 shots in 7 games which equates to roughly 37 a game and he didn't even really play in the first what 13 or so minutes in game 1 so it's it's remarkable how much they were just peppering him all series long and they control 59% of the shots at 5, on five And 5 and, and, and really the expected goals for them were it looks like 18-10 in their favor but it was actually 16-16 it was even at 5 on 5 which is a testament to both uh, some of the questionable goaltending they got a little bit in, in certain parts of the series and just how remarkable Vasilevsky was.
0: Right. And you know, heading into look at that third period. Like they had Tampa could have won that game and, and could have won that series obviously as a result. And it would have felt for sure in the Pittsburgh locker room, unjust. I mean, they, they, they truly believed they were the better team and, and, you know, they, they showed it in the way they, they played. And, you know, what a remarkable story. You know, I, I can't help, but think back, you know, to the start of the year and where they were and in, in December. I mean, uh, they were producing no offense. There was very little hint of this to come at, at that point. And, and, you know, but, you know, between December twelfth, when Mike Sullivan was hired, and May twenty sixth, when they 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 won the Prince of Wales Trophy. I mean, they in that period of time they proved, without you know, reasonable doubt, at least to me, that they are the class of the Eastern Conference, and and. You know, they they just play such a delightful brand of hockey to watch. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, for me, it's kind of nice to see. I don't have certainly any rooting interest in this, but, but teams that play that way, I just, I admire them. They're, they're trying to score goals. They're, they're, you know, Mike Sullivan, it, it's not exactly a rocket science take, but sometimes in hockey it doesn't happen. He, he went there and he looked at this, his, you know, what he had and said, we got to let these guys play, you know, the way we're going to win is by allowing them to use their talents. And, and you know, you know it's going to be a fascinating cup final now. And, and uh, Pittsburgh is, you know, they're, they're feeling pretty good. There's not, I've been around a lot of teams. That was an emotional, emotional locker room last night after the game. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Actually, it was, it was quite something it was seven years of pent-up frustration for the guys that have been around and then you had a whole other subset of characters the Phil Kessels and Carl Haglin's and Nick Bonino's and guys that have come in and even some of the younger guys like Brian Rust and Matt Murray who are experiencing for the first time and you know they they believe they're going to win the Stanley Cup and you know they certainly played well enough so far to to show that they at least have a good shot at it
1: yeah yeah for sure and and listen uh I, I just shudder thinking about the the narrative about Crosby and and his leadership and all this jazz that we like to seemingly circle back to every every postseason with these ridiculous talking points and false bravado that it, it just like if they if they hadn't won I I, I can't even imagine what what the uh, some of the leads in, in some of these stories would have been.
0: This is this is a particularly sore point with me. <laughs> like it, it really is. I I, I just wish. I feel like Sidney's done enough. And I'm not saying he's without the ability to question you know, his performance on a game by game basis or whatever, but it, it, it becomes at any point, if he doesn't, you know, has a, maybe a touch of bad luck or maybe he isn't even playing that great, it becomes sort of like a grander discussion around him. And I just don't understand it. I mean, he's the top scoring player in playoffs and regular season since he entered the NHL, he's won everywhere and everything and he's still really 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 good arguably still potentially the best player on earth at this moment so just because he doesn't wear a cape and score three goals every game i just wish some of the you know particularly my colleagues in pittsburgh you know many of whom i'm friends with but like the stuff they were writing is insane to me i mean i i'm not sure what else there is to say about it, but I just, I just feel that, that just because he doesn't score that we don't have to have this referendum on how great he is or his legacy or this or that. I mean, to me, all those things are already taken care of. And, and, you know, this has been a special season for him. This is, you know, it's as I'll say this, it's as calm as I've kind of seen Sydney. And, and, you know, I've, I've, been covering him his whole career in, in the nhl and and you know there's just i don't know i feel like he's in a very good place right now and and i think he's playing well and he's he's not going to win this likely the playoff scoring title or anything but hmm. you know he's had, he's had a great playoffs and i and i just wish we could cool it with the hot takes here every time you know if pittsburgh goes down to nothing in the stanley cup it doesn't mean that he's a garbage leader or whatever else people want to write yeah,
1: well, I mean, there's there's two ways to look at it moving forward. Either it's great that you know a Crosby or a Kessel or or a Joe Thornton or or Marlowe are going to win the Stanley Cup for sure. But then on the other end of the spectrum, the the guys that don't win it are probably going to be painted as some sort of chokers. So it's uh we, we it's an it's an endless cycle, really. I mean, just looking at looking at the totals from this series, like Crosby played perfectly fine he put a lot of shots on that I think people sometimes have a difficult time reconciling the fact that sometimes shots just don't go in for whatever reason and it's not necessarily a referendum on some sort of poor player or anything like that like it's it's a numbers game and and you go through stretches where uh sometimes you shoot 25 percent and sometimes you shoot 5 percent. it happens all the time and there's there's guys in each postseason that you can pick on like that but it's it, it just seems so unfair to me
0: Well, and the other thing about it is like for the, it's it's always coming from people who love hockey. I mean, it's, it's, it's people, but I I wish that they would just step back a bit because. The point is, is like there's these things that get repeated constantly, like you can't win without your best players being your best players or they got to carry you. But it's it's just inaccurate. I mean, look at Chicago's three cups. They, they had one in 2013 where John and Taves, I believe, had three goals and 14 points. And they had another where he led the the playoffs in scoring and won the Smythe trophy. I mean, we're, these are teams still at the end of the day. And, and you know, there there are series where. Sometimes your, your top players cancel out the other team's top players, and it's guys like Brian Bickle, who I believe is one of the guys who put up a lot of points in that 13 run for the Blackhawks, who who shine through. And, and you know, we've seen numerous examples with the Penguins, even Brian Rust here yes. late in, in the third round. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Kessel's been, been so good for them. Matt Cullen earlier in the playoffs was providing some sort of unexpected offense. And, mm-hmm. you know, what's great about the Penguins is that they're a great team. And, and and you know they have great top end players, but they actually have built a great team here, and they've got a great team environment, and you know that's reflective too on on leadership because you know I, I think actually where they've gotten to is is that Crosby and Malkin and, and the rest that, that there's no level of I'm not I don't think that they're worried about their points actually, mm-hmm. and I think that that's. To their credit. And that's not to say that they don't have to still produce somewhat for the team to have success, but it's just there's so many more layers to this that, that get ignored uh, when, when someone looks down at the, the game log and goes, oh, three games without a goal. Oh, this this is an easy lead, here we go. You know, and it just I don't know. I, I, I love the sport and I just think that, that someone like Sydney doesn't actually get a ton of respect, much like Joe Thornton, you know, throughout his career and, and and it's changing a bit here in these playoffs and you know, it's it's not just him, but I it, it kinda drives me nuts that, that we don't have deeper discussions on these sort of topics yeah. in the in, in the sort of day to day media.
1: Yeah, and you know, you're know you right about this Penguins team. It is pretty cool just based on the fact that, listen, early in this year, it still looked like their their depth was going to be a major issue, and, and they've gotten great contributions from a, a few trades they've made and, and from guys that started the year in the AHL that I would quite frankly, never heard of before. So it, it, it's it's Me too, and, I'm, right? and, I'm,
0: yeah. and it's my job to know these guys, but well, I'd like I, to didn't know, I didn't know Connor Sheary well. yeah. was until yeah. late in the season.
1: Yeah yeah and 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 Kunako and Rust and all these guys that are are playing really well and then and then you look at like I I watch Nick Benino here in Vancouver I would never have thought that that he'd have this sort of an impact and 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 they got Carl Hagelin midseason and and it's it's all these guys that have come together and it's such a it's a storyline that we've discussed many times, but it, it is remarkable and it's worth just talking about again how different this team is from the ones a year past, years past, both from the speed perspective and from the, uh, not needing to necessarily be overly reliant on just those two guys up front.
0: Right. You know, they, they basically just have all the same stars and everything else is different around them, more or less. And, and uh, you know, it's it's a testament. I mean, I think that there's a level, even Jim Rutherford said, there's a level of luck involved. I mean, you make these moves, you know, with certain ideals in mind, but it doesn't always come together quite the way it has for, for Pittsburgh. But uh, it's been impressive. I mean, as we look ahead now, I'm... I'm curious to see how it's going to turn out for them on their blue line. I think that that Trevor Daly injury, uh, you know, is going to be difficult to patch up over a long period. They obviously won a couple games games uh, over Tampa to, to survive the Eastern Conference final, but uh, you know, Brian Dumoulin actually filled in pretty good. I thought he looked pretty good in the, in the last couple games, mm-hmm. but, but the, you know, their depth on the blue line, I think is going to be, you know, one of the storylines here is as, as we see them, you know, match up with the sharks because, you know that was a big loss. Daly was one of the other guys that that really helped propel their season in a different direction, and he was acquired just two days after Mike Sullivan was hired in mid-December.
1: Yeah, no, the the, the blue line behind Letang is is very suspect at best, and and I, I imagine that he's going to be playing. You're going to see those those minute totals into into the 30s, regardless of whether the game goes to overtime or not.
0: Yeah, he's the he's in the Duncan Keith role now. Yeah. Uh, just just try and just tape them together and hope he hope he can carry on his back.
1: Mm -hmm. uh and one final thing i I think we'd be remiss if we didn't point out uh malkin's uh guarantee after game five that they'd come back to pittsburgh and 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 win this series i think that was uh pretty cool that it actually played out that way although we've we've seen a lot of guys over the years say that and then if it doesn't come true no one ever really winds up discussing it again
0: it's true but this is what i'll say about that one and because i saw some of my colleagues sort of it's easy to dismiss it but Evgeny Malkin, I, I was there. They, they did this availability right at this this airport hangar in suburban Pittsburgh, like literally right before they got on their charter flight. And he, no one was fishing at all. The line of questioning was not even like, "Do you believe you can get back to Pittsburgh or something?" No one was fishing at all, and he kept throwing out all these guarantees. He said, "My line's <laughs> going to score next game. You know, we're going to get it back to Pittsburgh." Like, it, it, there was a tone there, and you know, some of it. You know he, his, his English is is good, but he, you know he still. Some of it could be lost somewhat no, in translation. I, I think he
1: knows exactly what he's doing.
0: But what I mean is, there was a defiance to the way he was talking, and and it's not going to go down like the Messier guarantee, most likely, or anything like that. But it it was a guarantee, and it, and it was a statement about where the Penguins mindset was at getting on that plane because remember they they lost game five in disheartening fashion blowing mm-hmm. the lead on home ice and then losing quick into overtime when that goal that went off tyler johnson's backside and and you know it it didn't feel good in that moment obviously to blow a game like that and to have to head down to tampa and you know with no room for error and, and i'll give of getting Malkin credit to that he came out and said that and you're right it, it would have just fallen by the wayside but you know there's some room in the playoffs for narratives when they're when they're this sort of thing and and you know i think that that was that was pretty neat and if the penguins go on and win the cup i know at least there'll be a segment of their fan base that remembers that as one of the moments of the playoffs that that you know was that kind of told them that everything was going to be okay for their team
1: yeah no evgeny malkin is a total badass and and i I love him if he were on pretty much any other team i feel like we'd we'd be giving him so much more love and, and and so much more attention like just it, it, it makes sense that Crosby soaks up most of the headlines and most of the discussion but uh just everything about him from from his on ice abilities to his character is just I, I think he might be one of my favorite players in the league well
0: and, he, and he's very popular in the Penguins dressing room mm-hmm. too and, and you know I, the one thing the other part of it too is is the next day we're down in Tampa and a whole bunch of his teammates were like yeah I love that he said that like mm-hmm. you know it, it You got to talk about something during the playoffs. I saw, you know, some of Ken Hitchcock's comments during the Western Conference Final, but you know it's it's a great time of year but it's it's kind of a monotonous grind at times when you're on the on the ground floor of it and there's lots of off days and the questions kind of go back to the same thing and uh, i'll 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 even give them props from the the media standpoint they gave us something else to talk about and and you know we we gotta have fun with it too it's still just sports at the end of the day yeah um
1: hey before we get you out of here do you have uh have you thought about the cup final yet and do you have a a pick you'd like to go on the record with
0: not yet. Not I, yet. I and, and it's not even taken the fifth. It's just, I haven't put enough thought into it and I don't want to throw something out. And, you know, I'm inclined to say Pittsburgh, but I have to remove myself from potential Stockholm Syndrome after covering <laughs> them for, for three rounds here and really liking what they're doing and, and look a little closer at the Sharks. And, you know, obviously I've been watching their games, but... But you know, kind of see how I think the matchups will play out before I, I make a pick. But it does seem to me, on the surface, that it's going to be another long series, six or seven games. And and you know, I just hope it's fun. I, I really enjoyed that Eastern Conference final. I thought I thought it was compelling and and a lot of good hockey played. And and it was just a lot of fun you know it, they're not every series has that kind of spirit to it and and uh i'll share a quick anecdote if i can mm-hmm. i just thought of but so last night after the game i i walk in the the penguins room and phil kessel's over in the corner and and he's just talking to one radio uh, person and i just walked up and he was sort of mid monotonous answer and and he, he looked up at me and i'm not sure if i can swear on this so yeah, i go for it he just looked up to me he goes fuck like like it's it's because i think he saw me and then obviously i covered him in toronto and it was just such an awesome moment like i I, because he realized that i realized like how did he get here you know and and there there was just that kind of energy around the series and and i have to think with the sharks with the weight that they've been through there's going to be that same feeling like there's so many guys here that that know it's probably their one shot at it. I mean, we never know. I, I don't think a lot of people had the Sharks pick to get this far. Yep. And and so maybe they could do it again if, if it doesn't work out for them this spring. But, you know, I, I love that about the playoffs. It, it's it's cool seeing these guys grind away for years and finally get to their moment where they can, can lift that trophy and cry on national TV. So it's going to be a fun series that much I, I'm pretty assured of.
1: Yeah, no, it's a it's a really cathartic moment every year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's uh it's gonna be a fun series. We're blessed with a lot of stories, and I think the play is gonna be incredibly high level. And and people, speaking of of a high level, uh, people can follow your work at at Sportsnet.ca and follow you on Twitter at reporter Chris, where you'll be uh you'll be covering the series from start to finish. I'm sure.
0: I am, and uh, you're very kind with your praise. There, mm. it's uh it's week six for me on the road too, much like the players. So. It, uh, this is where you got to dig deep. But, you know, I really, it, the cup final is special. You know, it's it's just cool seeing guys live out their dreams and they all get emotional and sentimental as it gets closer to being handed out. Yeah. Well, I'm
1: looking forward to it, man. Let's get you back on uh, sometime next week to to break it down when the action actually starts.
0: Hopefully from an arena with pucks bouncing in the background, <laughs> rather than my nephew crying, if anyone can hear him in the background. Excellent. So. <laughs> all right,
1: man. Uh, enjoy your few days off here and, uh, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Dimitri. The Hockey PDOcast with Dmitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.